This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Cyrano. See what? No? I, I don't What are you talking about, Aaron? Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello. Hi, how are you? Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies we most spoil for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other home movie topic. This is episode 487. 487. We should have we sung it, but <laughs> here we are, missing our chances. I'm pulling a Dinklage. I'll just like mm-hmm. kind of sing-songy it for a while, and then we'll see where it goes. Got it. Yeah, and this week, speaking of musicals in English, we're talking the film Cyrano, the musical adaptation of the story of Cyrano, starring Peter Dinklage. And joining us to discuss this film, we have from Battleship Retention and the More Than Lesson podcast, when he's writing negative reviews that filmmakers may read, he tells them not to cry at all. It's Tyler Smith. (sighs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes, nice to be here. (laughs) Tyler, There are a lot of options for intros, and that's that's where you landed. Yeah. All right. I, I was proud of it. <laughs> I know you would be. You should be honored. <laughs> but uh, Tyler, it is glad I am happy to have you back on this episode with us. It's always nice to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. And uh, ha- uh, happy belated birthday to you as well. Thank you. And uh yeah, we're looking forward to talking about Cyrano. This movie's been co- it's been a trailer that we have seen many, many times at this point. And I'm happy that it's finally, you and I, we've seen, Tyler, you and I, we've saw this movie like months ago at this point. Yes, yes, back in November. Yeah, but now the movie's finally arrived in theaters, and we're going to talk all about it later on in this episode. Has it? (laughs) That's, I guess that's another (laughs) another conversation. That's also on MGM's poster for the film. It's out. (laughs) Uh, But first, let's get to some show notes. Uh, First up, commentary track. Uh, we have a commentary this month, as we do every month. This month, it was for the film Sahara. Hmm. Uh, speaking of films that time forgot, uh, we talked about Sahara for this month's commentary in honor of the uh, the uh, film Uncharted that recently came out as well. Um, although Uncharted is doing a whole lot better than Sahara did as far as the um, uh, adventure blockbuster game goes. Uh, that said, Brandon Peters, Scott Mendelson, and I, we had a fun time talking about that film. So feel free to listen to that wherever you can, including on iTunes, where you can find our show all the episodes that we do and even after that when you're like well that was a lot of shows that we could have listened to you could also give us a rating and review (laughs) which would be wonderful uh, to boost us up in the old itunes charts five stars please thanks you see how i got there abe yes i did yeah (laughs) destination destination arrived i used a treasure map to get to that one Mm, that's mm -hmm. that's what happened there uh what else (laughs) uh awards are happening there's awards yes. all over the place. We just the SAG Awards have just ended at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Smith and Jessica Chastain won awards, and Ariana DeBose and Troy Coates. I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody, right? <laughs> Going to wa- listen to watch the SAG Awards now they can't because I spoiled all the big ones. Kona won for Best Ensemble. Um, so all that happened, but that's all leading up to the Oscars. And of course, we will have some Oscar-themed shows arriving in the near future. Obviously, we'll have our predictions in our. Uh, post oscar shows we normally do and we'll see what else we can get working yeah the, we might uh, try and get oscar isaac on the show as well y- yeah exactly. we never know what his publicist is gonna say <laughs> we we never know it's it, <laughs> in abe's mind it's usually a 50 50 exactly what's, what's gonna happen yeah. for the publicist we definitely do know for oscar <laughs> isaac uh but we'll see but yeah keep stay tuned for uh, oscar content as we get closer to the to, to hollywood's biggest night <laughs> thanks thanks abc 
Not a sponsor. Oh boy. It's, the, it's such a it's such a fun tagline to say Hollywood's biggest night on the Oscars. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I think that's enough show notes for now. So let's move on now. Let's get to some out now quickies. Trademark. Each week now we move with the with quickies. Trademark. That was fun. That hey. Was Abe, what have yes. you seen recently? I started and I did not finish. Started. Good start to this. Yes, exactly. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Oh, one of the worst movies I've seen in the last year. <laughs> right. And, you know, I was like, hey, this is actually pretty okay. I'm watching it. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is trying to be more like uh, soothing and calm about his life as a, as a bodyguard. And then Selma Hayek shows up and she just starts shouting at me and shooting things. And then, like, they start hitting Ryan Reynolds with a car. And I was like, I have to go do something else, like anything else right now. Uh, so I take a pause on that. I don't know if I'm going to go back. Sorry. Uh, and um, that was that. I also caught up on all the episodes of season two for The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, Aaron and I have been texting back and forth about just stupid little quips that we that we enjoy about the show. And lastly. Wait, so, so, I, so after yeah. this episode. Presumably, both of us would find out who these cycle ninjas are. I that was a great cliffhanger <laughs> in the previous episode. Um, I have my thoughts, but I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Um, I also in the video game corner, I'm just covering all of our bases right now. Okay. In the video game corner, I started playing Breath of the Wild. I borrowed my friend's Nintendo Switch, and uh, so far so good. I have a horse now. His name is Moo. Did you get to name the spotted. horse? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You get to name a horse. Yeah. I'm sorry. So you get to name the character yourself. And because you have a horse that's spotted, you went with Moo. In in Breath of the Wild, you don't actually get a name Link. His name is just Link. Link. Well, that's okay. That's kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> but you get to name the horse. If you if you capture one, yes, yeah. But that takes a while. You've got to go do a lot of other stuff first, and then you can so, get so that. So to recap, you've put it. You had to put it. Apparently, put an effort to get this horse. Like oh, definitely. Just, it wasn't definitely. just that they gave you a horse. And you're like okay, no, no. You put in the you, effort. So by the time you got this horse, you were like, you know what, Moo. Yes, yeah, very fitting of his name. Yeah, he's a great steed. That's short for Mula, right? No, <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. But, <laughs> but you will now. I will now. I mean, I guess he's he's spotted like a cow, and his last name is similar to, or his name is similar to my last name. So I don't want to drive this too further into this game because <laughs> no, please <laughs> we have, ask we have, we have movies to talk about. I'm just I I'm happy you're playing Breath of the Wild. It's the first Zelda game I haven't like new one that I haven't been able to play because I don't have a Switch. I, yeah, I'm borrowing I, one, so that that's uh, I don't have one either. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. That's that's what you got. Yeah, that's what I've got. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of movie content, like five minutes this week. Uh, well, more like uh, six, but yeah. Okay. Pretty Fair close. enough. All right, Tyler. <laughs> what? Edu- educate us. What, what have you seen recently? Uh, well, as far as as far as uh, movies, I've only really seen one in the last uh, week. I finally, at long last, caught up with uh, Spider Man: uh, No Way Home. Oh, um, that's the latest one, right? Far From Home was the the last one. Mm-hmm. I get I get them all mixed up. As far as he travels a lot, No is like, huh? I'm, yeah, I'm, there's I no don't going. Know if I'm gonna get back. <laughs> there's no going back. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know. Uh, any conversation that could be had about the film has undoubtedly already been had uh, on your show, but um, I I definitely enjoyed it, and I was actually <clears throat> very excited with how it handled, you know, the elements that could be categorized as nostalgic. I think it 
it didn't it wasn't just like a tip of the hat to things uh it wasn't just cameo you know can uh actor cameos uh it actually when it brings people back like uh it actually gives them something to do so that they're actual characters with arcs and all of that and uh if you're going to you know capitalize on nostalgia for a certain franchise that's that film is definitely how you do it so i really liked that i'm also like officially intrigued to see where marvel is going uh i i had the thought of like after um after thanos and and you know the 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 snap and all that sort of thing i thought like where can we go from here Mm -hmm. Uh, how can we possibly match the enormity of all of this? And by incorporating like alternate timelines and breaking through into other uh, realities, uh, that's what they're doing. And that's actually very ambitious because I also recently watched Loki and then I saw the, you know, the trailer for the new Doctor Strange. And I think like, okay, they're going full on with this. Uh, and it's risky because there's always the possibility that younger viewers are not going to be able to keep up with what's going on, but they're willing to do that. Uh, Marvel is willing to go in that direction anyway. And that's to me, very exciting. The one concern of mine, though, it's not a, it's not a function of Spider-Man. It's a function of Loki. Uh, when, Oh shoot. His name escapes me now. Is it uh, Jonathan majors? majors? Yes. Yeah. Uh, didn't care for his performance at the end of Loki. Oh. Um, Interesting. It, it seemed it seemed uh, self-consciously uh, giddy and strange, which I'm willing to put some of that down to the character, given who he is and and what he has experienced. But uh, like he, when he's jumping up on his desk and stuff like that, I just felt, you know, he's a good actor and a better actor than that. Because as I was watching it, it just it reminded me of back when I used to do like <laughs> like uh, theater competitions in high school. And I would watch uh, actors like just just tackle their their scenes with just so much energy that they would just do stuff that was unmotivated and didn't make a great deal of sense uh, for their character or for what or the lines themselves. And that's kind of the vibe I got from what he was doing. I got no real sense of who the character was. And so my hope is as as we're getting into, um, you know, the 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 alternate version of this character my hope is that uh they'll um ground him a little bit more not that i'm looking for someone with like the 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 weight of of thanos but uh yeah the i feel like they went so far in the other direction specifically jonathan major with his majors with his performance that uh it actually put me off a little bit sure well hopefully uh peyton reed will be able to tame this performance in ant-man quantumania <laughs> sure if anybody could tame it it would be uh peyton reed yep <laughs> what do you guys know about Peyton that I don't? In in Ant Man, a franchise known for its grounded realism Exa and yeah. self seriousness. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you're telling me that people can't shrink down and fight in suitcases? Come on, I'm not. Now, hang on, I didn't. I'm not saying I want this to be self serious. I don't want a character. You know, I I'll just go ahead and say Kang. I don't want Kang to be just another cosmic villain. I, I'm fine with giving him a certain kind of quirky energy. But it, there was just, I think it was, maybe it was in the physicality of uh, of what Jonathan Majors was doing that that it kind of bothered me. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough. But I, 
I look forward to revisiting Loki at some point just to like refresh myself with this stuff before we get full on multiverse active. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it'll, I, I will be interested to see like where it goes from there. And then I like, obviously this is like years from now, but it's like, what do you do after the multiverse? Like, where do you work? What's bigger than that? Like, what's, what's you know part? what? They just go back to like, uh, it's like, Hey, uh, you know, scorpions robbing banks. Like, I think I, I like the idea that they just go down to like really, really just street, real street level crime. stuff. Yeah. If they use that, th- uh, that song from the animated series, Spider-Man, I'll be down. <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like that would be really Thor, funny. Just Thor, come here, little Beck. You got a got her cat stuck in the tree. Oh. Well, I just you know I, I like the idea that after all the cosmic stuff has been you know fixed, and it's like yeah, but people still you know mug each other. So uh, we got to take care of that. It's a great yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I do appreciate your takes on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just because for one thing, I'm I I, I well I well I know well you're you know your knowledge of film history that's much more intriguing to me than the mcu but also you tend to have a fairly grounded take on these things as far oh as, thank you you know as far as having a, a level-headed response to things like you know green goblin and dr octopus are back in spider-man like it's, it's it's nice to hear certain kinds of takes that aren't full of like nothing but excitement for the fact that these things happen to begin with well and also just the 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 choice what a fascinating choice it, it runs completely counter to what a cynical decision would be which is green goblin is back and doc ock is back and yet it it, it rather than simply stop there and be like hey you remember how these guys looked isn't that fun it actually treats them as characters and more than that it treats them as humans tragic humans that mm-hmm. need to be you know healed i won't even say cured but they need to be healed and it's like that actually runs counter to what the nostalgia would tell us we want from these characters. No, we want Green Goblin to be evil. We want Doc Ock to be evil. Uh, and this says, no, we're not going to treat them that way. We're going to actually engage with them. And I feel like that's actually a little counterintuitive. And that's what I mean when I say, like, there's nothing wrong with nostalgia and bringing things back and paying homage to things, but they're actually engaging with it as a work of art, as opposed to simply you know, checking off boxes. Sure. Oh, like Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, so- I, I didn't see it. Yeah, well, it's doing the things that you're describing. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I agree with you. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you have, you know, great actors with Alpha Molina and Will. Yeah. Know, that, that really adds a bunch to what could be done with something like this. That's a lot of Spider-Man talk. Uh, but thank you. I appreciate hearing the opinions on that. Um, we we got to keep going. I still have, like, Again, movies. I know this is a conversation you guys undoubtedly had two months ago. No, it's just, it's one. This is great. This is a great uh, pivot on it, though. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Uh, I've seen a number of things. I'll try to make some of these a little quicker. Uh, I saw The Burning Sea. Uh, this is the Norwegian disaster thriller um, from the same creative team as The Wave and The Quake uh, from the past several years uh, coming out of Norway. Uh, I enjoyed this one, um, just like I enjoyed The Wave. I have not seen The Quake as of yet, but I want to. I've heard good things. They're all. It, it seems like Norway's just knocking out some solid disaster flicks. This one has to do with a oil rig disaster. And what I like about at least two of the three films that I've seen is that it knows how to do the melodrama and the spectacle well, and not in a not that it's diametrically opposed, but like Roland Emmerich at his best he can do that in a way that's like very entertaining these do it in a way where like the drama feels like real but there's not necessarily like a comic relief character or anything it's just like playing it fairly straight um and this one does the job it it, it hits the marks 
I watched Studio 666. Hmm, yes. You aware of this one? Oh, uh, yeah. That's the yeah. one that I chose in the uh, the trailers. You did. That is true. Yeah, that's right. We did talk about this in the trailers. Yeah, this is the Foo Fighters starring in a horror comedy. Um, this, you know what? I like I like this movie as far Yay. as what it's doing. I think if you're gonna, if the Foo Fighters just want to like put on a show and be in a movie, I like what they delivered here. Like it, it's nothing special, but it reminded me of the fun that I got from like their '90s music videos, and presumably still do. I don't I don't watch their music videos now. I don't know if they have traditional music videos, but they used to have a lot of fun with their videos back in the day. And it seems like it's that same energy there, where they're all just like a bunch of goofy guys that like having a bit of fun. And this is a horror comedy that capitalizes on their love of the genre through via Carpenter or Raimi or Romero. Like there's a lot of elements from all a lot of different horror filmmakers from the seventies and eighties. It's never too hysterical and it's never scary, but like, (laughs) I do think the, the energy from the band, it just seems like they're all having a good time. And Dave Grohl, I do do think has like a, he has presence as far as he's not an actor necessarily, but it is, you know, he has a certain kind of presence he's brought over the years. And I think they, they do what they need to do. And plus the theme is by John Carpenter, which I did not see coming. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. He this has, is all good news. He has a bit more involvement than you might expect John Carpenter to have in the Foo Fighters horror comedy. That he came shows up? Perhaps. Uh, but the no who does show up, and I told you, J-Tro from the, F- from the yes. FB. Yeah. And J-Tro is involved in this movie. As an uh, actor. As a yeah, I mean it's a bit part. It's like he's mm-hmm. like a technician for the band. <laughs> but like you're not gonna miss him when you see him on the screen. Yeah, because when you see him, you can't miss it exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So Studio Studio sixty six, uh, not 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 bad. Like it was like it was fun. It was a fun. Yeah. You know, for something that's like gonna eventually stream forever, it's fun. Um, I I once watched a Hellbender. Speaking of streaming, this is on Shutter. This is like a DIY horror film made by literally the adams family their last name is adams it is a <laughs> it is a mother daughter and father sure uh the mother and daughter star in this film the father co-directed with them as well as wrote produced edited like it's a, it's literally like it's credited as an adams family film and it's very literal as far as how many roles they took in this it is set in the like the woods where this the this mother and daughter live they have like a punk rock band uh together they just kind of hang out and the mother's a witch uh, the daughter's surprise. The daughter's a teenage girl. She kind of wants to have friends. She wants to branch out, but the mother's like, "Well, yeah, you know, that's fine, but I also want you to be a witch like me." And it becomes this like thematic study of maturing into like young adulthood um, and going for the desire to both be normal as well as follow in her mother's footsteps of being a witch. Uh, it's quite interesting and well made for a movie that i cannot imagine cost very much money at all mm-hmm. um I, I and for what it is like I, I think it it has this sort of kind of tone and attitude that i think works for the movie quite well um let's see also watch no exit this is on hulu now just premiered it's it reminded me most of something like uh james mangold's identity as far as a bunch of strangers in a lockdown situation where in this case it's a snowstorm is preventing people from leaving a small visitor center. Uh, one of the characters discovers outdoors that someone is being kidnapped in a van. And now she has to figure out who is the person who owns this van and who's kidnapped them. Uh, it's a very simple setup. It takes a little bit to get going, but once it does, I was into it. Like I, I was into the, the kind of the mystery thriller vibe that it had going for it. it you have a few character actors here, Dennis Haysbert and Dale Dickey show up uh, in this movie. 
but it's like it's solid. Again, it's for like a ninety minute movie. It's like oh, this does the job. Uh, it went straight to Hulu as opposed to being like a Fox release or a twentieth century release, which it would have been, I think, in different times. And it's like, yeah, right, I get it, I guess, but eh. like it's it it does the job at a time where these movies don't kind of exist as much as they used to. So saw a couple classics also to make note of the godfather um heard of it it's celebrating its 50th anniversary um and it had a it has its 4k trilogy the trilogy set coming out this month but they put the they put the new remaster of the film into dolby cinemas this weekend so i didn't see a reason not to go and see the godfather in dolby cinemas this weekend so i I definitely went for that and uh, pretty good Uh, like you know bb plus uh, but no, no, I like the guy quite a bit. It is a, <laughs> it's a phenomenal movie. I, there's, I, there's, I imagine that they took that as as like the selling point for this re-release. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Aaron Newworth, BB plus. B plus. Uh, no, it's uh, and you know what? It was packed. Like people wanted to go and see The Godfather, which should not be too surprising, I guess. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, what's The Godfather? I mean, Why Briary Angels? Uh, yeah, actually, I'd imagine there's probably like what? parents that took their kids to see it and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. No, I'm serious. I, I, no, like, no, no, yeah, that's nice. It's good that the parents would be like, hey, check out this monster movie. Check out one of the greatest films ever made. Why not? Exactly. <laughs> it's in theaters yeah. right now. Indulge. Eat your, eat your Sour Patch Kids and watch Michael kill McCluskey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's not too many new observations I can bring to The Godfather. Not At <laughs> yeah. least not for a five-minute quickie segment. But I do, I mean, yep. it's, thank you. It's such a, it's such a, like, an overwhelmingly good movie as far as everything involved in it, like, from yeah. every aspect. And such a, like, highly watchable movie. Like the like, it was encouraging. Watchability is off the charts. It is, but it was encouraging that like the theater was packed because that's what it was when it like when it came like it kind of saved mm-hmm. theaters back in seventy two. Like things were the box office was was not in a great place in the early seventies, and it was mm-hmm. films like The Godfather, which was a you know not just a a critical success, but a, a you know a, a huge audience favorite for a long time. It made <laughs> it made a ton of money, and it's but regardless, I mean, it's just a excellent achievement all the way through so uh, happy to see the godfather on a big screen looking forward to watch i heard there's a sequel uh, looking forward to seeing that as well um <laughs> that's out no quickies great mark let's um let's move on now let's get to let's get to our trailer talk for the week where we talk about what the newest movie trailers when it's coming out what we thought of it what have you and this week we're talking elvis this is the biopic based on the life of elvis presley directed by Baz Luhrmann. And this time we have Austin Butler playing Elvis Presley, along with Tom Hanks as, of course, Colonel Tom Parker. And yeah, this, uh, I mean, he's the king of rock and roll. This is a movie that's going over what seems to be his days from young to old Elvis and all that comes with that. Uh, Tyler, let me go to you. Are you excited for an Elvis movie directed by Baz Luhrmann? Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'd go, if I'd say excited, but I'm definitely intrigued. Uh, the trailer got my attention as Baz Luhrmann movies always will. And I think he's somebody who, if I had seen that, that almost anybody else directed this movie, I would have said like, yeah, okay, sure. It might be fine. (laughs) But when I saw that it was him, I was like, well, at least it will have energy, like a really crackling energy and it's not going to be just a straightforward biopic at least not stylistically uh and that really excites me um it's he's just an an instinctively uh pardon me an inherently uh i don't know just a a very unique director who always brings his own 
his own style to things. And I feel like he could really re-energize this story because, you know, Elvis has been portrayed either comedically or dramatically many, many, many times. And yeah, Studio 666 is John Carpenter uh, had uh, made an Elvis TV yeah, movie. So. <laughs> exactly. And so I do think that I think that what he's going to do with it, it, I mean, it might wind up being a spectacular failure, but at least it'll be spectacular, you know, and uh, and that really excites me. And I like the idea of Austin Butler, who, you know, has been bouncing around for a while and is a reliable actor, but he's kind of a no name for for most people mm -hmm. and it's exciting that he was cast as elvis because i think he's going to real be able to do some things without the baggage of him of mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know he people are already going to be looking for elvis mannerisms if they had if if you'd cast like a bigger star and we had to work through that person's mannerisms in order to get to the elvis mannerisms uh then that might be too many steps but because it's a relative uh, no name. I think that will take away one of our obstacles uh, that will keep us from really embracing that performance. So that excites me. Um, and then I do have, I do take certain issues with, even though I'm, even though I have no doubt that Tom Hanks will do a wonderful job with that character, I, I feel like he's really going to like sink his teeth into the character and it's probably going to be a lot closer to his Lady Killers performance than anything else. Um, but, uh, but I do, uh, you know. Is that fun, though? Like, Tom Hanks says, you know, especially in recent years, he's specialized in playing these kind of, you know, either real life or characters that are grounded human beings. And every yeah. now, only now, every now and then he likes to, like, sink his teeth into something like Cloud Atlas or Lady Killers, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good thing, especially, you know, uh, th there are certain people, like, in, in the, in, like, the lore of, of, celebrities there are these other character these other like characters in their stories that we've all kind of just accepted as villains and colonel tom parker is always seen as the sort of the don king of yeah. of the of elvis's story and he's just this larger than life kind of character and so you know having an actor play someone like that is like okay this is they'll be able to ground the character and he'll be able to ground the character undoubtedly, but I think he'll also have a great deal of fun as Tom Parker undoubtedly had a lot of fun. And this is also not the kind of movie that will uh, call for subtlety. Uh, you know, Baz Luhrmann is not that kind of filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, my big issue is one that is, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as say that I'm offended or anything like that, but it's just one of those things where like, you know, Obviously, when you've got Austin Butler in there, you will need a, a a bigger name. And Tom Hanks is a tremendously fun actor. Again, I have no doubt that he will do a good job. But part of me feels like I know that Tom uh, Colonel Tom Parker was an overweight gentleman. Um, and part of me feels like either just cast an overweight actor or just go ahead and just just cast Tom Hanks and don't do any of that extra makeup. Like you don't have to do that. It, it's fine. We don't, it's not like we have an image in our mind of Colonel Tom Parker. Like people don't necessarily know what he looks like. So you can just cast Tom Hanks, maybe have him put on 20 pounds uh, or something like that. One of those uh, easy things for above 60 year old men to do these days, just put on 20 pounds. He can do it just fine. <laughs> He's a method actor. He'll he do can, it. He'll you know. call uh, Bale, Christian Bale. Yeah. Or, or uh, Joaquin Phoenix or something like that. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's, that is happening more and more. And it just kind of bothers me, uh, whether it be like Gary Oldman in, uh, no, I'm not blaming the, the, the actors, you know, Gary Oldman in, uh, Darkest Hour, Darkest Hour or directed by Joe Wright. Yes. We'll get to that. Um, Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell, uh, John Lithgow, um, there's just there is kind of this this uh, trend because makeup is so good these days. Like I mean, a lot of these are are like Oscar winning movies for for makeup, and so it's like well we can take these actors that are really great and maybe have more name recognition and we can make them up to look like this thing and maybe get ourselves an Oscar nomination for makeup in the process. Um, but it does it is something that kind of bothers me. You hear so many people talking about like you know, casting is like, oh, this person isn't the correct race or, or whatever. And meanwhile, it's just like, ah, put a, take a star, put him in a fat suit. Like we could cast an actual fat actor, but yuck, you know? And uh, that, that's something that I tend to think about. We're being, um, we're being denied like D'Onofrio's turtle Tom Parker, I, apparently. A hundred percent. Cause I also, incidentally, also, I also just watched Hawkeye. And uh, uh-huh. so I saw Vincent D'Onofrio in that. And uh, he's an actor that I really love. Or, I mean, think about it. Somebody like a John Goodman, who obviously isn't as big as he used to be, but he's still a bigger guy. He'd, he'd do wonder with, wonders with that part, you know? Um, and, it's, and it's kind of a bummer to me. Uh, and especially somebody like uh, with the upcoming uh, Batman, even though I have no doubt that Colin Farrell is going to do wonderful things as the Penguin, it's unfortunate. It's like... <laughs> You know, there are only so many well-known fat characters, uh, real or fictional. Uh, so if you're an overweight actor, you're like, all right, there's a new Batman movie coming out. Here we go. Oh, I didn't get the part. That's a bummer. Who did they cast? Wait, what? You know, <laughs> a beautiful skinny guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's just something that 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 bothers me a little bit. Sure. Fair enough. Well, Eric hey. Stone Street is very upset about it. Eric. Sure. Um, Oh my could gosh, have, could that's have been another a great example. Could have been a great uh, penguin. What a wonderful turn that would be if Eric Stone Street turned up as penguin and the Batman's like, oh, okay. I, I'd be down. <laughs> well, I definitely <laughs> just someone that I, I wouldn't say is a friend, but uh, you know, an acquaintance of of mine, Paul Walter Hauser, has yeah. like campaigned to play the penguin. Uh, like he, it's a character he's always wanted to play, and he even did sort of a, like an audition on his Instagram, and it was amazing. Uh, and it's like, oh. That's such a bummer because who knows when they're going to get a come back around to that, to that character. And uh, yeah. So, and I I like Colin Farrell. I think he's a fascinating actor, but it's kind of a bummer. I remember back when dark Knight three, essentially what they were calling it at the time before it had anything going for it. It was like, we, no one's going to do the penguin. We got to get Philip Seymour Hoffman. I remember that was like the big thing they were throwing around all the time. Um, And obviously none of that happened, but we're getting a penguin now. For Colin Farrell. So back to this Elvis movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Abe, uh, we haven't talked about a Baz Luhrmann film since 2013's Great Gatsby. We, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And even that one, I think that we were still on the Baz Luhrmann train. Uh, for this trailer, I wasn't sure how to feel about it as I was, as the trailer starting. Um, and then it keeps going. And I'm like, well, you know, it feels like it's a, a larger movie of going from youth to old age. And then it kind of gets to the middle and I was like, oh, uh, the second song hits. And it wasn't because it's like a song. It was more just because like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad that they're going to do Fat Elvis. Um, and uh, everything that, that that Tyler said about 
Baslerman's panache and his style and everything is true. And so the, I am excited to go check out this movie and see what it's all about. Is it going to be a return to form that we know of Baslerman being like, you know, really going to try some stuff out? I hope. Uh, but I, I certainly agree with Tyler, who very well, uh, very eloquently said that um, if this is any other director, I might be less enthusiastic about it. But because it's Baz and he's he's just known to have his own um, uh, signature on the screen whenever he's making his movies, then fantastic. Uh, and so I, I'm very curious to see how it's going to work out. Austin Butler, what can you say about him? You know, he, he was riding horses over at the ranch in Once Upon a Time in Mexico or what's about a time in Hollywood. And uh, here he is now playing Elvis looking like a, like a young stud. So I'm excited. Yeah. I don't have too much of separation as far as what you guys have said already. I think the, the one thing I'm curious about is like how far it wants to go with the, not only the musicals, but just like the film's look and style in general. Like if it wants to go like full, like Moulin Rouge, like this is Baz Luhrmann just throwing it all out there. Or if it wants to be more restrained for the sake of, it's weird to say like giving it more prestige because Moulin Rouge was nominated for like 10 Oscars, but like, you know, something that feels like a balance between what Lerman generally does and what, you know, their what the traditional look of a biopic might be. And that would, you know, not thrill me if I, if I want to see sure. a tamed version of Elvis's story brought to life by Baz Luhrmann, I, I wouldn't want that. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> like I, I, I want the big over the top kind of style because yes, there has been a lot of Elvis over the years there's been a lot of ways to portray him and it's like what do you do differently now like what's the thing to sell this and ideally it's because Baz Luhrmann has a particular vision uh, for how to make this come to life so you know the thing I was thinking of is something like Rocket Man where yes I, I what I admired a lot about that movie was that it wasn't only just a Elton John biopic but one where uh, director Dexter Fletcher put some emphasis on the musical numbers made them big and wild and had like a sense of almost magical realism going on within the musicals it felt like it was something that was like leaping off the screen as opposed to Bohemian Rhapsody basically something that's just like just down the middle kind of you know jukebox musical that only adds so much so uh uh am I looking forward to Elvis like yes in a sense that like I like I generally like seeing Baz Luhrmann do like fun stuff on screen um I hope it pays off for the better and I'm also I mean it hints at this a little bit but I am curious as far as Elvis's history is concerned uh, if it has something to say about, you know, this white man becoming the king of rock and roll based off music he heard from people that aren't white. Uh, I, I do think the there's obviously something to be said there, but I do think the trailer's hinting that that might be a part of this story, at least. And so I'll be curious what kind of angle it comes up with beyond just the Parker uh, Presley relationship, but as well as his relationship to music in general. Uh, so curious, curious where all this goes. Uh, Elvis arrives in theaters uh, June 24th, so right in the bit, bit of uh, some movie action going for you there. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Okay, let's get to our main review for Cyrano. My sole purpose on this earth is to love Roxanne. Does she know? The world will never accept someone like me and a tall, beautiful woman. We have no money. A clever marriage is your only option. I won't be rescued. I'm not in distress. Love, does that mean nothing to you? Children need love. Adults need money. I need something to die for. Write poems and cry for. And I won't be ashamed. I'd give anything for someone to say that they can't live without me. 
decision to make. I am madly in love. Perhaps he feels the same. But I've never actually spoken to him. Of your love? I think. <laughs> he is Christian. Christian Nuvelet. He's a new recruit in your regiment. Of course he is. A woman like Roxanne wants wit, romance, poetry. I don't know how to speak romantically. I am a poet. My words upon your lips. I will make you romantic. Will you make me handsome? Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Cyrano. Director Joe Wright is no stranger to romance, and what better way to get back into the genre than taking on a musical adaptation of Cyrano, starring his significant other, Haley Bennett. Bennett co-stars with Peter Dinklage, and his wife, Erica Schmidt, has written both the stage musical and this feature adaptation. Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Ben Mendelsohn round out the core cast in this retelling of the classic love story about Cyrano de Bergerac, a brilliant poet and sword fighter who views his own physical disadvantage as a reason not to admit his love for Roxanne. Instead, he writes letters for the smitten Christian, a man who can't find the words to say. This version of the story is told as a musical with songs and music by The National, filmed during COVID and entirely on the island of Sicily. Tyler, what can you say about this unique take on the film? Uh, well, I can say that despite its eventual release date, it is, my, it is currently my favorite movie of 2021. Um, there are still a, a handful of movies that I need to see uh, in order to... Uh, have a more informed uh, uh, view of of the of last year, but um, but yeah, it's a film that completely took me by surprise. Um, I, you know, took a critic screening of it all the way back in mid November, and uh, I did not know walking in that it was a musical. Um, hmm. I, I thought like the the big uh you know deviation from source material was uh the physicality of Cyrano himself and so as I'm watching the film I I think like oh this is a this is a very good looking movie and really wonderful costumes and all that sort of thing and then Haley Bennett starts singing and my brain is just like okay I need to I need to change my expectation immediately for everything that's about to happen thankfully I was able to do that partially because uh you know the song that she uh, starts off with is a is a really beautiful song and she is a marvelous singer and so that definitely helped uh, as opposed to if it were a, a less memorable song and the film just drew me in and every new scene and I, I'm familiar with the story uh, and yet it still felt very fresh to me uh, because of the the you know new adaptation um, and uh, certainly the performances but like every new scene I just kept getting pulled further and further into this love triangle and more specifically uh, Cyrano's specific emotional arc. And what's interesting is I was so invested in spite of myself because it is not a cynical film. It is not a, a winking film. It is unabashedly sincere in its romanticism. Um, and I kept waiting for it for the movie to ruin that. I kept sure. waiting for them to go one step too far or for them to undercut what they were doing. And then by the time, and then the movie was over. And then I thought like, they didn't actually ruin it. They fully committed and walked that line uh, uh, between sincere and romantic and schmaltzy and Meanwhile, there are scenes that I watched like with tears in my eyes, not necessarily because I was feeling sad or anything like that, but because just the emotionality of these scenes 
whether they be, you know, a, a particularly musical scene or otherwise, uh, it just washed over me. And I was just completely swept up in Joe Wright's vision of, of this story. And it just, it completely surprised me. I certainly did not expect, I was, you know, I went in hoping to like the movie and thinking that I probably would. I definitely did not expect myself to love it as much as I do. And I didn't expect it to rocket to number one and stay at number one for me for the year. And again, there's, I still have to see a few other movies, but I don't know. It's, it's a, a film that has stayed with me in the months that I've seen it. Um, and then I, I, you know, purchased the, the, okay. uh, the soundtrack and I've been listening to that and, and remembering just how magical a lot of these sequences are. And yeah, it's, I, I cannot get over how damn near for me, cause I know a lot of people disagree, but for me, how pretty much perfect the movie is. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen this? Did you get just, the screener? No, I just, okay. I just saw it once. Okay. You tend to rewatch movies. I don't know that about you. Do you tend to rewatch things very often? Like when it comes to fairly recent releases? Uh, no, I, you, it's, you know, this one is one that I might, uh, I imagine I'll probably revisit mm-hmm. sometime in, in the future, maybe even a few times. Um, but, uh, and you know what, the other day I was actually thinking of, uh, like, oh, I'd like to go see a movie. And I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll go see Cyrano again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I, I would love to get, uh, swept up in that, uh, once again, but as you guys can undoubtedly, uh, attest when it's this time of year, you're just like, and maybe even any time of year, yeah. you're just <laughs> yeah. like, well, I've got the two hours. Should I spend them watching something I've seen or something I haven't so that I can comment on that? on the podcast or whatever it is. And so, uh, so yeah, I wound up doing that, but, um, but yeah, like it definitely, I thought like, this is a movie I love. Why, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I want to get back in touch with, with that feeling that, that the film brought out in me? I, like, I'm happy that Abe didn't see Cyrano twice, so he can give us instead that skilled takedown of the hitman's <laughs> wife's bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> when she started screaming at Ryan Reynolds for no reason, I just lost, I was, I was, I was, I was out on it. Abe, we've, uh, we are through thick and thin because there are some less than stellar films. Sure. We are fans of Joe Wright on this podcast. I, I would say that we're huge fans. Hannah was one of the very first films we reviewed on this podcast. It was like I the third her, episode. Mr. Hart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so and we've talked about many of his films since then yes. um, now we are finally arrived at Sear though a film that we've not necessarily made fun of as far as the trailer goes just the fact that the trailer keeps coming up <laughs> for the past several yeah. months before finally you know you having access to seeing it so now yeah. you've finally seen the film what did you think of Cyrano? Uh I, I really enjoyed Cyrano. I, I don't know if I loved it but I really enjoyed it and I think that there's a really a um like there's a beauty in what Joe Wright does. Like, we've seen it a lot with his other movies too, where he period piece movies, uh, where he's able to choreograph music, the scene, and everything. So basically, all the directing, all the blocking, all of the um, choreography, uh, the choreography, the setup of the shot, everything is just uh, in sync. And this one is is a return to that. So I really enjoyed it for a lot of the acting performances. Uh, and Aaron told me this uh, off mic, but, um, you know, Dinklage is doing a great job. Uh, I forget how you say it, but I'll let you explain it further. It's like acting with his eyes. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that there was just 
Tyler, I'm going to borrow your words. There's like this unabashed love story that you're viewing on the screen. Like there's just nothing uh, coy or nothing like um, uh, like out of the ordinary about it. It's just very honest, just upfront. This is what we are. This is what we're doing. It's try. It's a love triangle. Um, here are the main characters. And by the way, there's awesome singing that you're going to uh, enjoy and it's really going to further the story. It would not be a complete Joe Wright movie without having some serious moments, um, including in this one, scenes of war um, and peril um, and a song that I found to be very fitting for the for the mood, um, as well as like some guest uh, uh, singers uh, in that scene. But on the whole, I really enjoyed what I saw on the screen here. Uh, MGM United Artists just really did a disservice to themselves uh, for not putting this out earlier because Dinklage pretty fucking fantastic in this movie like there's no doubt in my mind that i was like this is one of the best performances i've seen last year um in 2021 so it's a, a real shame that they kept pushing it for whatever reason they they kept doing i know that Cyrano got nominated for one thing costume design costume design which is fantastic i mean period piece right but i mean there's just some really good acting going here Haley bennett no slouch either uh, and kelvin harrison uh, obviously picking up where he left off with um you know, waves and everything like that too. But um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that, like, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's um, a, a perfect movie, but I really did enjoy this for what it was. The audience that I was watching it with, we laughed at the moments where there was laughter or, and humor. Um, I could definitely hear some sniffles where there were some. Um, and I definitely thought that there was like a really nice blend of like, you could tell that it was made like in a quote unquote vacuum in the, in the vacuum of COVID but there was like a really, there's like a, a huge familiarity, familial familiarity to it because Eric Schmidt is married to uh, Peter Dinklage and Joe Wright is, uh, his partner is Haley Bennett. So there's just a lot of swirls of this is really working out uh, for me. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just bummed that it seems as though there's like a funny tweet that came out uh, that I read this past weekend where it, there's just a lot of love for one scene in West Side Story. And somebody had written that it's clear that people are just starting to see West Side Story right now this weekend. Um, and it's just a bummer that Cyrano was not seen earlier um, by wider audiences, I should add, because it has been released at, at a lot of festivals um, and people have seen it like you guys saw it months earlier. But it's just a shame that people have not seen this like uh, in December, January. Uh, earlier February because um, there's great performances that carry this. Uh, we're got to be all in agreement as far as liking, at least liking Cyrano. I think it's pretty terrific. I've seen it a few times now because I watched it at the screening, and then I got the, the 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 DVD screener disc, so I got to see a lesser quality version of this movie multiple other times because I felt like it. 1080p. Um, yeah, less than that. Oh, no. <laughs> DVD. <laughs> but no, I, I am a fan of this. But I'll I'll back up and I'll go even further. I will say I was already excited to see this movie because I generally like. Um, Joe, obviously we like Joe Wright, but I also, I like Peter Dinklage and I like the Cyrano story. Like I'm a fan of this tale. Um, I, I've seen various other adaptations, including uh, Roxanne with Steve Martin, which is right. quite good. Um, and so Great like, poster. It, it has a nice poster, <laughs> but, um, you know, knowing another version of it was coming and having Peter Dinklage in the role is like, that's in, I'm intrigued by this and no Joe Wright being director, like, cool. I'm getting into that. So cut to be being prepared for the screening that I was going to have at some point. And I'm hearing you, Tyler, on the Battleship Retention podcast, 
talking about your love for this movie. And I was that just got me very excited to see Cyrano all of a sudden. It's like, well, I was already looking forward to seeing this. I was already scheduled to see it like the week after. And like this praise that you had for it just like got it all pumped up in my mind. Now, obviously, the bad version of the story is like when to see it and it ended up being terrible. Uh, but that's not what happened. I saw the movie and I was like, this is really nice. It's a very lovely, lovely film. You're absolutely right as far as how it's so like earnest in the way it presents itself and never gives up that kind of that glow that it's going for and never makes moves that are out of step with what it's been doing at, you know up to that point and i really appreciated that about the film and it's not something i wouldn't expect from joe wright as far he tends to you know when he makes a movie he tends to commit to that tone um, so it's it was really like it, it made me feel really warm to see it in a movie that's ostensibly the tragedy like it was nice to see a movie that was just so committed to being this mm -hmm. romantic really just like nice tale uh, despite having whatever darker elements it, it just like it felt great to see this and be have it accomplished in such a great way obviously the you know the production from a production standpoint it looks immaculate there's a lot of terrific production design costumes and all of this all of these things the music is sung live for the most part which i was like that's oh, that's, a, that. that's a nice aspect of it as well and that's the other thing though the music I, the one thing I didn't know about this movie is that the music's done by the national and I love the national, but I did not know this going in. So the, I was hearing these songs and I'm like, there's certainly a mood to some of them where I was like, this seems so familiar to me, this kind of music I'm hearing because the national has a, a specific kind of sound. It's the point it gets to the credits and it's saying, you know, that, that you have, that you have um, uh, the Desners, the Aaron Desner, Bryce Desner, like written the music. It's like, the national did this like that just like intrigued me so much more and then i was like reading up all of this movie and it's like okay so they did all this this is wonderful so in addition to all of that yes dinklage is amazing in this movie he is giving a fantastic performance uh you you have Haley bennett and kelvin harris jr harris jr., who I, I i really liked over the years and that some of the films that he's been popping up in and of course ben mendelson's always great too it's nice to see him here uh, there's just so many things to enjoy but the other thing i didn't see coming the sword fighting is fucking cool in this movie. It's yeah. like, it is so, there is, you wouldn't expect too much sword fighting. It's not like it's, you know, jam packed with sword fights, but there's a couple scenes early on in this film. One that's done as if it's a, a long take. Obviously there's some edits there, but like, it's so cool to like watch Peter Dinklage as a swashbuckler mm -hmm. where I'm thinking if we're in a different movie where he's not like, you know, he's not concerned with his height and how that makes him look in public. If he's just playing like a guy, I'd happily see some like fucking cool swashbuckler movie with Peter Dinklage at the center of like he's just really handling this well and it's filmed so wonderfully. And this is, you know, this is a small percentage of this movie, but I was just really impressed with like this aspect of it. On the whole, loved it as far as it being this this really open-hearted romantic uh tale that takes a new spin on Cyrano. Just a just a lot of stuff to really appreciate about this film. Mm -hmm. Well, and one thing that uh, that is worth noting, not merely about this movie, but just about the character of Cyrano de Bergerac in general, um, is that it's it's so tempting to treat him as a tragic character. Uh, he is a tragic character, but not in the way that uh, we tend to to think of of that word. I guess, uh, although I suppose from a Shakespearean standpoint standpoint we do tend to define uh like a tragic character someone who is responsible for their own downfall but um but when we think of of like oh a, a tragic romantic character it's usually like oh the the circumstances have not lined up or they they are lined up against this person and uh he's 
some sort of emotional or relational martyr. Uh, it's not that. This is a character that we sympathize with, and, and I'm sure many of us empathize with. Um, he is brilliant. He is poetic. He is a skilled swordsman. He is very good in many ways. Uh, he is still singled out for his stature by some people, and he makes it seem as though that rolls off his back. And in certain circumstances, it probably does. It certainly hasn't kept him from doing well in certain areas, and he is aware of that. But the tragic aspect is that he clearly, in certain, in very specific regards, I'd say romantic regards, has internalized that scorn and he ha he does seem to ha to uh have believed that he is too ugly or too physically unacceptable to pursue uh his this romantic interest and so there's that and that could be seen as a certain type of tragedy but it's still one that makes him even more sympathetic what where i think the brilliance of the character and it, it's included in in this film um the brilliance of him is that there is uh, a certain pride to him. Sure. He, he does Roxanne's thinking for her. He assumes, even though he has a very high opinion of her, he assumes that she will not accept him if he were to present himself romantically to her. Uh, and that, that in its own way is, you know, yes, it's untrusting, but it also is a little bit insulting. Like he, Assume, when it comes right down to it, he assumes that she views him the same way as that guy in the in the in his first scene, who insults him publicly. Um, and he, rather than put himself out there emotionally and risk uh, the getting confirmation of what he suspects, rather than that, he uh, he plays it safe, and it's what allows the entire film to happen. But there is at the core of that a pride. In, in the character that they do acknowledge at the end that he he is smart uh, and he is aware that he is smart so much so that he just kind of assumes he knows everybody else's uh, outlook, everybody else's motivation um, and it it, ca it causes him to be miserable and maybe even forces other people to be m miserable if only through ignorance of the truth um, mm -hmm. about his feelings. And I love that. I like that that it would be so easy to to make Cyrano just a pure soul and someone who is basically perfect and society just does not understand him, um, especially if you're going to adapt it the way this uh, the way Erica Schmidt did, uh, moving notably away from the source material, they could have made him into a a pure. Uh, social martyr, but they don't. He is not a perfect character, even though he is admirable, even though he's good at a lot of things. And and I think Dinklage manages to play all of that at, at the same time. It's a it really is a marvelous performance of a character that is so much more complex than I think people might initially assume. It's mm -hmm. a tricky prospect for sure because it's 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 as you said, but it's like he's a guy who's generally liked. Like it's like you know people you know when he's talking in the theater at the beginning, like many people are like yeah Cyrano's right like I, I want to hear what this guy has to say I admire yeah. this it's my he's on stage now great finally this guy's here he knows what he's doing like I I I, I like that there's this kind of he's a popular fit like it, it is so much mentally what's drawing him back as far as 
what he feels his challenges are and like this too smart for his own good aspect that's coming into play as far as what he thinks people will think about it like that's it's it's an interesting dynamic to see him like work with when you have other characters uh specifically roxanne who i also think is handled well in this version where that's a yes. character that could be easily just a prize you know there's someone that's flat that has nothing really to sure. offer somebody that, who could be shallow exactly but not even necessarily shallow but like one that's not you know it's it's a plot device as opposed to a person right yeah and, she she could become basically a MacGuffin if you're not careful yeah exactly and the film does its job as far as giving her a sense of self and a sense of being and and you know be it's not the the role can only be written so far because it's called Cyrano there's other things going on but I do think that what Haley Bennett puts into it and what how the character is shaped it makes it seem like she has her own identity and she certainly is smart enough to determine you know, what she wants and not just what people think that she wants. And that's that's certainly helpful to a film like this where whether you know the story or not, it's playing on the idea that these two guys want this thing. Why do they want this thing? Well, the film actually has answers for that. It has reasons and it has uh, counters and what have you that I think make it, it does make it more complex, make it more interesting by default. Mm -hmm. So it's... Yeah, you, you touched upon something that I was going to bring up too. And uh, essentially just that the, the movie actually allows all these characters to breathe um, and it allows them to essentially let them come off on the screen and let a, an audience member understand them without having to have to go through too much of exposition. The the scene that we're, that I'm thinking about is just um, uh, after the the theater sequence. Peter Nicholas just talking with his buddy, and they're having a, a chat about how uh, he loves Roxanne, and uh, he, you know, uh, to all of uh, uh, Cyrano's uh, intellect and his wit. He's just like, hey man, the world just doesn't accept people like me with, with women like her. And his buddy just rightly says, you think that she's that shallow? That she would see you as this? Uh, uh, despite you being like, you know, um, so confident in yourself and, and however we soldiers see you. Um, so I really appreciate that. Again, we've all said this, me, Aaron, Tyler have all said this. All these characters are just very honest uh, and they're very, uh, they're not really hiding anything back necessarily. Um, and because of that, you're, you're allowed to be with these people and really get in touch with them very quickly, I might add, um, for a movie that will take you through a roller coaster of emotions. Something that, that was said uh, earlier um, was that, like, it does, it, you know, this was shot like in the midst of COVID. And so it does kind of have this small kind of intimate feel to it. And yet it, I, I feel like I would describe it as like a little epic. Mm -hmm. um, I would agree. Because, yeah. because we do still have these beautiful sets, wonderful costume design. I think it's a visually gorgeous film. Like I was just looking at while we were, while we were talking, I was looking at stills. I'm like, this is beautiful. This is the, the way it uses color. The, obviously the, the, camera movement but also you know placement of actors within the frame uh it's it's a gorgeous looking film and then there are also there are action sequences there are uh scenes with large crowds and and uh complicated dances and all that sort of thing like it is very self-contained right um but in watching it i wouldn't necessarily but that's just because the story that we're watching is a very self-contained little story um as I'm watching it, I don't necessarily get a sense of li of limitation of resources um, or anything like that. It really feels like Joe Wright and the studio 
really committed as much as they could to this production. Um, it is, it definitely is smaller. You know, it's not like we're watching uh, West Side Story. It's not like we're to to keep with with musicals or even something sure. like In the Heights. It's not a sprawling thing that that affects like all these different uh, you know these or different aspects of of larger communities. Uh, it is insular, but uh, within that, it actually is quite lavish. That's an, that's that's another aspect uh, of the film. It's so it is it's very easy to focus in. I think the thing that most people focus in on first and foremost is uh, Dinklage, and understandably so. Then they branch out and they talk about the music. Once again, understandably so. Uh, but I you know I I, I certainly don't want to sleep on just the whole visual aesthetic it is a gorgeous movie mm -hmm. and it's you know joe wright is definitely hit or miss with me but this is in his best traditions of you know pride and prejudice um and i'm not even a big fan of atonement but certainly there is a real precision and a real lavish quality to that as well and this is in you know this is in keeping with that uh he he clearly like refuse to think in terms of well we're we're making this in a in a very limited age um he's he it doesn't i don't get that sense at all um this really feels like it could have been made three or four years ago you know mm -hmm. um and uh and that that's the thing is i don't want to spend so much time talking only about dinklage and the other performances which again is fine uh that we fail to comment on just how visually gorgeous the film is and and you mentioned the choreography earlier i think the 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 both the what the actors are doing as far as choreographed dancing but also what the camera is doing to to capture that i think all of that plays into this larger visual tapestry of the film i'll just note that the cinematographer is seamus mcgarvey who's worked with right on a number of his films at this point uh, he's also shot on avengers uh, bad times at the el royale and of course, uh, Sahara uh, out now recent commentary. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we chose to do Cyrano this week. Tie it all in. It all connects. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I completely agree as far as the visual spectacle on display. And it's interesting to see, I mean, especially if you're somewhat, but even if you're familiar with the story, you don't necessarily know what the scope of this thing's going to be. And, you know, yeah. where this movie goes compared to where it starts, it's not necessarily expected uh, given the time frame this film is set in and what the characters are put through. It, you know, it has it becomes bigger uh, yeah. than you might think, even though, yes, it is still very focused on a core set of characters. And I do like that intimacy. I do like the, you know, saying a small epic is a very accurate statement to make because it's such a, it's such a personal story that revolves around a certain sect of characters, but because of like where you're placing them and how, how much their hearts are invested in everything that's going on, it has this sort of bigness from within that's coming out of it. And I like how the music really tries to punctuate that as well, where you're getting these songs that are obviously, you know, they're coming out of the emotions of the characters in the moment, but it's, it knows how to expand as well. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's one thing that I'll get to in a second, but like even early on when you first start talking, start talking, start listening to um, Roxanne singing. And then you see how that, that song, which becomes one of the main themes of the film kind of expands out to the rest of the players, yeah. uh, which is really lovely. But then you get to what I think is just such a, it's such an interesting way to go, like almost a, uh, like a, um, a, a, um, what's it, a, um, a pause, a, um, 
intermission intermission of sorts it's like a transitional phase where we stop focusing on Cyrano for a bit and we focus on well these characters are all at war Mm -hmm. what if we just delve into their minds for a second and I really like this moments where you have Glenn Hansard from from once uh, you know Mm -hmm. obviously a you know a, a singer songwriter himself like leading the charge on this this other song that suddenly comes into play and it's like two parts on the soundtrack. It's really wonderful. And it just like, it gives you this Sam Amidon shows up. Yeah. <laughs> it gives you this Folk singer. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. It gives you this. And, like, and, yeah, and uh, as, one. as guard number three is Scott Fullen, who you can listen to me uh, interview him uh, over battleship retention. There you go. Uh, la- there, last week. There you go, we told right you there. it all rolled back together, <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's this, what I like about that. Like, not just because I like the music, which I do, it's that it's, it's giving you this kind of hint where yes, we're listening to a classic story being on, you know, being told again or what have you, but it's like, you know, the other people have stories too. Like, it's right. just like kind of noting this, like, you know what? A lot of people have a lot of things going on and it's, yeah. it's throwing that in there. as like a, not a cheeky aside, but just like a, the severity of what romance can do to somebody. It's not limited to just these three people. There's other people that are dealing with a variety of things. Whether and it's, it's not even just like romantic relationships too. It could be like family relationships, which exactly. the songs go into, which I found very moving. So it feels like it pushes this film into this, this, this whole world of like, of, of this like musical incorporation of like, mm-hmm. Hey, we, we, we all have things that we can, we can all throw that out, throw our emotions out there uh, to song. It's just, it's just, it adds another layer to this thing that I really appreciate. Sure. Yeah. I I, I, I had oh, a similar I had a similar thought um, as as she's like going in in that opening uh, number uh-huh. mm-hmm. as she's going along in like the carriage and you start to see the people outside sing it and then in the theater uh, there are people that are that are singing if if I'm remembering it correctly like there are people in a crowd yes. that start to chime in as well mm-hmm. um, and and each of them are singing this this song of of longing and I like that it is sort of an acknowledgement that like, yes, we're watching the story of these three, maybe four characters. If you're incorporating Ben Mendelsohn, like it's a very specific story, but any one of these people could have a similar story or at the, at the very least uh, a story that, that feels the right. same at the, at the core of it still has this sense of longing. And we could, if we wanted to jump to their story and it could be just as interesting, just as tragic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they actually do that for, for one song towards the end in, in this, in this uh, right. cave. And I do, that's something that I also love. And, and that's where you get a hint at the, 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 at the, the big epic, the real epic that this could have been, but it's choosing to, it's choosing to stay small, but acknowledging that th- this story is, this story is specific, but the the concept of it and the 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 emotionality of it is universal. Right, and I just want to comment briefly on the 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 epic while in small scale. Um, and it was something I thought about after the movie leaving, and I was thinking about Les Mis and how that movie did not move me emotionally. It moved a lot of people in the audience. I definitely heard other sobs, but this movie did, and. I think it was just sort of what we're talking about, which is, hey, you have this musical and the stage production, and you decided to go big with it, but it just doesn't really hit all the notes that maybe you think that it's hitting. So I want to, you know, there's obviously a kudos to Joe Wright and his team, the production team, uh, and everybody involved to also take a stage production and kind of still go larger, but keeping everything in in its view like in frame and allowing me to experience this because i thought about that that cave sequence and 
just how it could play out on the stage and how how well it could play out on the stage as well and it really works so uh i i just i really like that there's um an intimate intimacy with this project uh aside from or uh, versus it going super large and super loud we've uh, we've talked about the cast obviously uh to the extent of dinklage and men or what have you but um uh, kelvin harrison jr um yeah I, I didn't know he was a musical kind of guy. <laughs> like I've seen him in various performances so far. This is like a, it's like another tool he's brought out for this film. And uh, I liked him here quite a bit too. Uh, what'd you guys think of uh, his Christian in this film? I think both in the writing and the performance, I think this character, just like, just like Roxanne could seem like, you know, just a, a device to get things going. Um, Christian could seem like adult. Uh he could seem not necessarily like an antagonist. Degish is obviously the antagonist, but but he could seem like just an obstacle to be manipulated. Um, somebody who is not who is in no way the equal of Cyrano. But in the certainly in the original play, but also here in the writing and the performance, it makes it clear that he he might not be as bright, but he is a decent person. Yeah. Um. And he, in the end, uh, in, and and it's probably because he's not quite so cerebral that he is able to see things a little bit more clearly and see, like, oh, do you really have so low an opinion of her? And so, it's one of those things. Like, yes, of course, I'm still in this love triangle. I am still rooting for Cyrano, even though I know that that's not going to happen. I'm still rooting for him, but at no point is it at the expense of liking christian right so i i like the writing and i like the performance as well right yeah he, everybody is bringing a lot to the table and and uh kelvin no no less than the others because exactly what tyler just said if this was a different movie where it takes a different turn and kelvin is is not or i'm sorry christian the, the person who plays christian is just not a good decent person i would feel awful about you know the second half of the movie i'd be like this is no fuck this guy but because he's not, uh, you do care for him as well. Yeah. Roxanne, because I, I, I recently watched Roxanne again, just I hadn't seen it in a while. And Roxanne mm-hmm. does kind of take that angle as far as it makes Christian. With uh, Rick Rosevich. With, yeah, with, with Top Guns, Rick Rosevich. It right. makes, him, makes him, you know, a dick, essentially. In that movie, right, you know? yeah. And it, it kind of could go either way, and then it kind of turns that direction. But no, this one does have the, it, it doesn't want anyone to, you know, see, like, yeah, it, it really comes down to Degeesh. Like, he's the only character that's, nefarious in this film where everyone else is basically a nice person (laughs) and even and even then yes we're not on board with him but we do see Mm -hmm. and and in and in his song which which definitely has a an a very aggressive and and uh off-putting quality to it this Mm -hmm. sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. but at this idea it's just like this feeling of like i I want the same thing as everyone else like i want relation a relationship i want to be loved and i want to love somebody else and yet somehow no one seems to think that i that i deserve it uh and so like and it's one of those things like well you do need to work to become someone that is lovable that's for sure but there is still that longing in him that everybody else has and in the original play degish uh changes he becomes somebody that is is friends essentially with Cyrano like he starts to change his ways uh here they do go with the more um the more simplistic 
choice for for this character. Um, but even then, there are moments where like he's he's talking with with uh, Roxanne, um, not towards the end of the movie, but in that direction where, and he's talking about the war and that uh, that he's being called up to for military duty. And he he says a joke. He says like a self deprecating joke, where he says something like he goes. He goes, they've got to be desperate if they're coming to me, you know, and that's like, and he says it and she laughs like a genuine laugh. And you realize like there is potential in him as a, as a man and as a person, it really is just this feeling of, he knows what he wants. He sees that other people want the same thing and he just can't quite connect like, yes, but you also have a responsibility to become this thing. He just knows that he wants it, and that's kind of the end. Um, but it's, I don't know, I, I he, he's definitely a villain, but right, he's not yeah. a monster. And that comes down, I mean, that's a mix of, like, I think, you know, strong writing and, and acting on Mendelssohn's part. Yeah. Mendelssohn, an actor who I really enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the, the, the writing does, it adds an extra layer as far as, well, who is this guy? He's a guy that's born into privilege, right? So yeah. he's obviously going to have some predisposed ideas of how things are supposed to be. Um, and so why wouldn't he think that he deserves or, you know, automatically gets a certain kind of way, but he's also, you know, human. So he could have extra thoughts in that regard or, you know, have a certain longing, like you're saying, or what have you that, you know, not necessarily make him uh, more complicated, but certainly make add complexity to him as far as what what's expected by him versus what he's actually getting. Like it's, it's in there. He's again, yeah. he's not the star, but it's, it's giving him, it's giving just enough humanity to him to make it more, more than just black and white. Right. And again, like if you want to get like anybody get Ben Mendelsohn to do these things, cause he's uh-huh. fantastic at it. But you know, Tyler, to your point there, he's not a monster. He's just a bad person. That's exactly right. I mean, like this is a person who is actually going through all the steps to woo Roxanne. He's not going around like defiling women left and right. He's just right. like he's like, hey, by the way, like I'm doing my best because I really like this woman. He he's 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 kind of like Gaston minus like all of the I'm gonna go and force her to marry me. The extra right. bravado. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, although you know he does he does ask for her hand in marriage at one point. Um, but with all that being said, yes, I agree with you that uh, again with all the characters here. There's additional layers that uh, an audience is allowed to see, which which adds to you not like again. He's not like a slime ball. He's just a guy that you're like, well, I wouldn't want her to end up with him. Uh, but it's right. not as though he's like, you know, being incredibly like ridiculous and, and yeah. He's uh, not like gross. he's uh, he's not like he's little Nicholas Holt wannabe guy at the beginning of the movie that calling him a freak. And all yeah, he, he's <laughs> not, or even Nicholas Holt in the Great. You know, he's not that kind of guy. <laughs> Or Nicholas Holt in the favorite. Anyway, any, 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 any Nicholas, <laughs> Holt, Nicholas Holt as or, an adult is doing. Or one, or one who looks like. What happened to that boy? <laughs> yeah. um, I will also, you know, uh, not necessarily reflecting on the quality performances because I mean, we I think we agree that they're just strong work from the actors, but appreciated aspect that I, you know, obviously noticed here. It's an international cast um, without making a direct call out to the fact of that yep. of that nature like you yeah. know you have i mean kelvin harrison jr plays christian um not a role that you could quote unquote say is traditionally a you know a black person or a white person like it's generally a white person like that's just the nature yeah. of these kind this kind of story mm-hmm. um and along with uh, cyrano's uh, best friend as well like there's there's choices being made here to just make it a you know 
we have people for these roles and that's what right. it is uh, without you know it's not like we're adding subplots involving christian's plight to be a black soldier in france right, <laughs> right. It's, yeah it's, it's just this is just the way it is similar to something like um the uh, the david copperfield movie which i really enjoyed uh, so it's it's an aspect where I, i've read about it too from joe wright's perspective it's like yeah it's just something that we consciously wanted to do not to make a big deal out of it just be like yeah anybody can play these parts right um uh, so it's not necessarily adding new layers, but it's like, oh, that's nice. I, I, that's a that's an interesting way to go. It is to making a musical and all the other changes we're already going with as far as making Cyrano a, a different kind of version of the story. Right. And and it being in many ways like an, un well, not unconventional, but like, you know, we have an idea of what a musical is for the most part, especially one that is a period piece, mm -hmm. um, which is like, okay, it's going to be very, you know, it's going to be a large orchestra, the, it's going to be these soaring notes and all that sort of thing. It's like, no, that's the music's done by the national. Yeah. So it just right. so it it really does. It has all these disparate elements, and so like yeah, why wouldn't you do this this other aspect to things? And uh, and what I like is that every aspect of it, uh, even even things that people might think like oh that's a little strange, the the film is just like yeah, that's what we're doing. What's what's the what's the problem here? Right. Like it just goes yeah, it call straightforward. It's it's a very, in many ways that we've already talked about, uh, it's just one more way that the film is extremely unselfconscious, yes. um, which that, is something I appreciate. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, question for you guys. Did, was there one song, two songs that you guys were like, these are the ones that I'm going to be having on repeat? Uh, the song Madly, um, it, which is, I think, outside, it's, it's pretty early on, and it's, it's when uh, Cyrano has sort of declared not to as, as far as to the audience he's essentially mm -hmm. declared to us his feelings of, of Roxanne and it's like and you get this these beautiful strings coming in uh and then he starts singing and it's a there's it's a very small and very simple song but one that I that I uh that really works for me nice I uh, I really like the um the whenever I fall the kind of the interludes and the caves oh sure there I, I really like those those songs yeah. they're they just it, it caught me so off guard as far as this is a choice we're now making and i just like that that kind of chorus chant that kind of uh, occupies yeah. like that segment of the film that that mm -hmm. that got to me when it was hitting in certain places um, sure. so I, I i appreciated that and honestly i, I like the main uh, what's it someone to say i like that song yeah, quite a bit that's a that's a great yeah. one yeah yeah you Abe? uh is it over overwhelmed overcome the one where they're they're all overcome sort of like overcome yeah, yeah. overcome where they're all kind of like uh doing their thing at the window um first of all it's got some funny lines in it why is your voice an octave lower uh -huh. um, yeah <laughs> but then also just the way that it naturally progresses into Cyrano speaking slash singing to Roxanne um and there's just so much conveyed in in what's happening there it's it's a wonderful scene uh, altogether and you know, I, I will say this may sound like an insult of some kind, but I will say, having listened to the soundtrack, as it should be, the soundtrack is not as powerful as when you're watching the movie. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like just listening to it on its own, it's like, oh, this is good and all that. But like overcome is it like I watched that scene and I was myself overcome with emotion sure. because of what the seeing what the actors are doing and i think some really beautiful camera work and some really uh nice lighting and all that it's just such a wonderfully realized sequence and the song itself is also very good but just it's that's just one aspect of it and then so when i'm listening to it it's like this is a very good song but i'm not having it's not having the impact on me 
that it did when I, when I watched it. And I thought like, well, yes, it's, this music is good, but it was made, this music was composed and, and written to be seen. Um, and so it, I think it's a testament to just the power of the film itself, that all of these elements feed into each other in such a way that if you actually were to engage with one of the elements completely on its own, it's not going to be quite as good. Even if it is good, it's not quite as good as when you see it as part of the whole. I, I can agree with you there. Um, I've experienced that with some musicals where I was excited to listen to the soundtrack and it's like, oh, it's still good. But yeah, it's certainly missing a certain oomph that comes from, you know, having yeah. the visual you know, realization of what's going on here matched with the music itself. I will say I would be happy to see fan edits of what I deserve played against characters from different movies walking angrily towards the camera. Like, I feel like that could be a thing <laughs> that we could definitely start getting going. Um, <laughs> How about, a, I mean, everybody's singing here. Dinklage certainly has a, an approach to this that I feel is a little akin to something like, I don't know, Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd. Did you guys appreciate Dinklage's, uh, his efforts as a, as, a, as a baritone in this film? Yeah, I, I mean, it worked for me. It's definitely, uh, Haley Bennett has a truly wonderful voice. Um, I think Kelvin Harrison is behind her. Then I think it's Peter Dinklage, and then Ben Mendelsohn. God bless him; he does what he can. He gets one but, song, um, so yeah, he's fine. <laughs> but it's, but that's the thing is, is you know, thankfully this isn't uh, a traditional Broadway kind of musical, in which right. case Peter Dinklage would be definitely out of his depth. Um, and it's one of those things that, when listening, you do, and only listening, you do notice, like, oh yeah, he's not the strongest singer, but but he does what he needs to do, and again. Uh, when watching it, it's paired with his physicality, it's paired with his face and his eyes, and suddenly all of it blends together and his voice is just one part of the performance. Um, and uh, yeah, it never, it never, I, I acknowledge that he is not the strongest singer, but uh, not, he's not so off um that uh it ever took me out of it at all i would argue it informs his character um, oh sure as far as you know what kind of effort he puts behind something because he, you know he has a he has a distinct voice as many actors do like but mm -hmm. he has a distinct way of sounding so when you're asking him to when you know songs are going to come it's like well clearly he's going to have a certain way of approaching music that's you know, yeah. not not falling into a quote-unquote traditional manner or matching up to you know the the female voice of Haley bennett it's like well it's Peter Dinklage, he has a he has a deeper, yeah, <laughs> a deeper sense of and even like the kinds of songs involved, and certainly in the opening parts of the film, they are more aggressive, right? They have so it's gonna and you know with the national doing the music, it can take this kind of deeper rock vibe uh, yeah. than, than some of the other songs in the film, and it's I think it gets to you know part of who Cyrano is, this guy who is you know confident and skilled in what he's doing, and the it's it's less focused on the flowery of his of, of a voice and more on the right. kind of what he can put out there as as the person he is so it's i i was like because you know Tyler, as you mentioned like you didn't know this was a musical going in like the film you know the trailers itself not entirely hiding that it's a musical but certainly not playing into that all the way through mm -hmm. oh the the television trailer mm -hmm. is all swordplay no music at all exactly. like if yeah. i if i w went to see the movie based purely on the tv trailer i'd be furious <laughs> <laughs> so the you know at this point in the movie if because the savage it's a musical early on there's a little bit of an anticipation as far as like what's dinklage gonna sound like when he starts busting yeah. out songs and it's like okay well that's what it is and uh, I, I appreciate it for sure
Well, we all saw that wonderful Space Pants uh, sketch yes. from well, that's, SNL. So I think we got it. Space Pants is what I, you know, I was like, if it's like that, then this is an A-plus film right away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, I'm definitely linking to Space Pants in the show notes for this. Oh, episode of course. Because of course. That, is a, that is a wonderful, what is, what's great about Space Pants? <laughs> It's that that sketch is nowhere near perfect. They're like missed cues. Yeah. One actor doesn't like show up for like the first sequence that he's supposed to be in. But Peter Dinklage fucking crushes it so hard as space. Yeah. Pants. <laughs> it's like I can look over these flaws and still enjoy this. Bit. <laughs> um, what else? about? OK, I mean, I commented about this early on, but did you guys like the sword fight in this movie where he takes on like 10 men? Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it, was, it was really well done. And I also like that it was, um, you know, on the nose with some of the things about uh, with a rope scene too i was like oh this is really fun minus him actually killing everybody yeah <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of deaths in this small town this this yeah. evening yeah he <laughs> he lessened the population by a significant percentage <laughs> it's like kind of wild he started why does the chorus sound weaker now but it, like it, like it went from him being like i don't like this guy on stage right now to somebody died at the show tonight did you see that i know right it was crazy what happened later on well i heard cyrano like murdered 10 more people when they was walking home really it was just a scratch though <laughs> i thought the plague was taking us down but this cyrano <laughs> fell <plague. laughs> Any other thoughts on Cyrano? I know we've talked a lot about a variety of things here. Kind of, kind of just curious. Like, why was it uh, pushed back like three times? Honestly, I, I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd say MGM was putting a lot on House of Gucci, and they just mm. wanted to perhaps give a little bit of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond obvious factors like COVID and the amount of money Spider-Man's been making, <laughs> maybe sure, they sure. just want they they didn't know what to do with it. It's weird yeah. because it's not like the film wasn't. You know, it like Tyler, you mentioned like some people don't agree with how much you like this movie. It's like it's still a well-reviewed film overall, and it's still yeah. it's still one. This is this is like one of those rare ones where it's like Rotten Tomatoes and the critics and the audience score is like pretty much the same. So pretty, yeah, they're pretty, I mean, it's like eighty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and like it has a share of you know its share of uh, awards praise as well. And it was up for a number of, not that they matter at all, Golden Globes, um, but. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that beyond okay. MGM has multiple movies because they have well, they had licorice, they have licorice pizza, House of Gucci, and Bond. So it's like right. there were okay. they're shuffling around already. I'm just guessing they wanted to have a separation between themselves within the number of movies there are awards qualifiers. Of their love? What what? No, nothing. I was just quoting <laughs> of their love. Okay. <laughs> I heard the face again. <laughs> <laughs> When I say that, I'm absolutely serious. Peter Dinklage's face is so wonderful in this film, and the way oh, yeah. he's able to yeah. like emote through his eyes, and the way he's he has a very he has a very expressive face. And I, the yeah. movie, the very movie, very much knows that. And it's a, yeah, it's a, it's certainly a benefit. Yeah, my heart hurts just like watching some of those scenes. So yeah, like I look forward to him doing a big comedy after this to make. Okay, good. See, something <laughs> something could happen to this man. <laughs> this man who's has plenty of awards and. You know, he's married and has kids and he's probably very happy with the <laughs> claim he's gotten <laughs> he, as he's it's, slowly taking down uh, Disney by his complaints about Snow White existing again. Like, it's good. <laughs> he's, he's doing what he's doing. It does. I mean, it's it's been a while uh, since I've been so disappointed, not surprised, but so disappointed with uh, how a film was mismanaged. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And because I love it so much. And I think a lot of people would love it. I think it is a right. crowd pleasing movie 
if you just got the crowd to see it. Um, and certainly I know that, that uh, the studio, you know, they wanted it to be December and then they kept pushing it back for COVID reasons. I know they were looking at like a Valentine's Day release, like that might have worked okay. Um, and then they push it again. Uh, and that's the thing is, you know, I, I've been talking about this movie up and down all the way back since November mm-hmm. and people would say like, Oh, when, when's it coming out? I'm like, well, that's the tough thing. And yeah. it's just, so even if it has awards buzz or critical uh, love, like you can only keep that going for so long. If you're just going to keep pushing it back, eventually people just they lose interest and they, they lose interest else. and they're not right. keeping track of it anymore. Especially and, at a time like now where people are very selective about what they're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just a shame. And part of me, look, I know that studios want to like, Obviously, they they don't want to lose money on something, but at the same time, I think you just look at it as like, hey, this this was thirty million. It's not that much, really. Uh, let's look at it as a potential prestige picture. Let's actually release it in December. Yes, it's it could get lost in the shuffle, but it's also way more likely to be in people's minds when it comes time for Oscar voting and Guild Awards and that sort of thing, as opposed to the lone costume nomination that it got uh, almost as a as a afterthought um yeah. it's and so you know now, who had no fear searchlight because they put out uh nightmare alley they're like fuck it. yeah yeah and we'll that, go against and, spider-man sure. and you know what now they're nominated for best picture yeah <laughs> yeah along with a, a lot of other things and yeah. i don't know it's it's just a film that it, it really makes me sad because yeah. it's it's so amazing and it just came and went and no one cares and maybe it'll be discovered on on streaming and people uh, like what's happening with west side story right now (laughs) but um but yeah it's 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 one thing when it's like oh it's a movie that i really love and i really want to talk about it with other people it's another thing was like this movie deserves more it deserves to be seen and people will like it if they see it they just didn't get a chance to um at least not that they were aware of um and it really yeah it really makes me sad and angry that, I do uh, think, that the studio mismanaged it this badly i do think a christmas release would have been really nice for this movie yeah i think that would have yeah. you know regardless of how much carry it would have i do think the people that did see it i do i think there's a way to spread that kind of love out where you're like oh i saw Sierra and it was pretty good and it just kind of carries through the holiday season and as yeah. many, many, many smaller movies that get released around that time do. The holiday season is a great time to release it. Cause you're just like, you know what? I'm really tired of my family right now. I'm just going to get away for like two hours and go see Cyrano. And sure. I mean, it's a big musical. I mean, it, I mean, big relatively. Yeah. I mean, like Les Mis was a Christmas release and that's a, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was huge, but you know, there are different kinds of things. I understand that to a degree, but I agree with you as far as there were ways that this could have been handled that were right. preferable to the result here, which is, very insignificant which is uh, you know how, how to do box office this weekend not well like a million and a half yeah not Oof. yeah okay because i i i guarantee nobody knew this existed <laughs> like, yeah that's, that's understood the, or at least no one knew that it finally came out because they know it existed because it's been playing every trailer in every movie theater you can see it's been around <laughs> um but you know it is what it is as far as what they've what they've gone and done with it sure um well We've talked a lot about Cyrano. When should, I mean, you know, we've already established that we like the movie. People should have seen it. When should people go and see this movie, Tyler? This week, because it's not going to be out after that. There you go. There you go. Abe? I don't know what's going to say. This is a theater movie for sure. 
I would agree. I'd say sketches on the big screen. There's a lot of wonderful visuals and certainly worthwhile to see a movie like this uh, that does its job so uh, wonderfully well. Okay, so we've, we've talked about Sierra now. We have a lot of positive things to say, which yeah. is nice. Let's, um, well, Abe, what, uh, what time is it now? It's time for a quick game here. Little known fact, that's actually uh, the score that is in Cyrano, but then they're like, no, 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 no. We actually want somebody from Hollywood to, to do the score, Aaron. So Aaron was was not picked up for the project. It's weird that Joe Wright called, for one thing. You call uh, him righty. He's, I've seen his phone number show up on your phone, and they're righty. Well, he calls me lefty because I'm left-handed. <laughs> so it's, it really, it's, it's that personal, really. It's because of that, my glowing review of Hannah. Yeah, yeah he's, he always remembers me. Uh, that was, of course, the improv theme. Uh, for games a but what 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 do you got for us this week? i've got a game for you guys this week it's called versus this is where i will read you guys a verse from a movie musical oh boy and yeah. you need to put in the last word that i'm gonna leave out <laughs> oh boy and this is not this is a turn-based game so nobody has to answer i'm just gonna go uh aaron you're gonna start and then tyler you're gonna set the next question and again if if aaron doesn't get it right tyler you can steal vice versa oh can i <laughs> you can I, these are not hard verses okay here we go aaron this one's for you first okay the tide the grass the ground oh that was just maui messing around i killed an eel i buried its guts sprouted a tree now you got nuts tyler to steal more specific oh tyler to steal if aaron doesn't get it but coconuts Son of a bitch. Coconuts is correct. <laughs> now you got coconuts. Good uh, job. Next one here, Tyler, you got to go first. I would have preferred that last one. but okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're going to get this one. What's the matter, dog? You embarrassed? This guy's a gangster. His real name's... Oh, I don't know. No! Aaron for the steal? Read this again. What's the matter, dog? You embarrassed? This guy's a gangster. His real name's... Clarence? Clarence is correct. What is this from? It's from 8 Mile. It's the rap battle from Eminem. Got it. Okay. Oh, I haven't seen that in 20 years. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got it right. It's Clarence. The first one was Moana. Did you say that out loud? No, I didn't. Uh, I did okay. not name the movie, but I can. Okay. Uh, this next one is from Les Mis. <laughs> You're going to get to go first. No, I wouldn't say it first. I meant like after the fact. It's... Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I mean, like the, the clue doesn't, or the name of the movie doesn't really help you anyway. I'm saying just for the people that are listening to this, they'd, they'd probably like to know what the music musical was. Got it. Uh, the next one here. Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine. Uh, I do not know. Oh, oh, Tyler, Tyler. Steele. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say untasted. That is correct. Ooh. All right. Wine untasted. I was gonna say wasted again. It's like you don't rhyme rhymes <laughs> with the same word unless you're like a kid rock song. Rhyming or uh, genius. Or the uh, the almond joy and mound song that always bothered me as a kid. <laughs> like sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Almond joy's got nuts, mounds don't. And I remember as a kid, it's like they just use the same word. Yeah, that's, that's like it really bothered me. Yeah, you did not sell yourself a candy bar. Yeah. <laughs> Who wrote this, you know? As I snicker bed. myself away back to <laughs> Hey. <laughs> Tyler, you got to go first in this next one here. Okay. The hot and the cold are both so intense. Put them together, it just makes sense. Winter is a good time to stay in and cuddle. But put me in summer and I'll be a happy... Snowman. 
Yes, that is correct. <laughs> From Frozen. So we, uh, just a quick note. Uh, my my wife and I don't really show our kids anything <laughs> on screens uh, unless we like need them to uh, like sit still for one for like one moment, like uh, to give them a haircut or something like that. And so we usually show them like just YouTube videos of like Disney songs. So that song from Moana is a big one. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why I know that was coconuts. <laughs> um, and then uh, that song from, from frozen. I, I don't like frozen, but I love that song. It's a great song. Everybody was expecting him to say um, puddle. Puddle. Yeah. And uh, he just stops. He's like, yeah. Josh is just like, I'm going to say this. Because the, the whole point is that he does not, he clearly he does not understand. know that this is not going to go great for him. <laughs> Such a charming character. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, you got to go first in this next one here. All right. Prince Ali, mighty as he, Ali Ababwa, strongest 10 regular men, definitely. He's faced the galloping. Oh, that's where he's stopping? Yeah. <laughs> he's faced the galloping. <laughs> Face the galloping hordes? Yes! Oh my god. A hundred bad guys with swords. Yes! There, that's why. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think. What's the next line? Uh, this next one for you, Tyler. You get a oh, go boy. first. From Aladdin, of course. Uh, Tyler, this one's for you. Okay. Oh my, what now? The children are asleep. But look, there's nothing underneath. No ghouls, no witches to hear to scream and scare them or ensnare them. Only little cozy things and cure inside there. Dreamland? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. There you go. Indeed. That one I know like maybe by heart. Like I'm very good with the Nightmare Before Christmas songs. <laughs> Aaron, this one's for you. Uh-huh. No one's been like Gaston. A kingpin like Gaston. No one's got a swell cleft in his chin like Gaston. As a specimen, yes, I'm the best that is not correct tyler yeah. with the steel i don't uh I, I don't know it like i mean i know the song but i i'm having a hard time with that particular yeah lyric as a specimen yes i'm intimidating uh, i met a guy like gaston uh that's for me then tyler you gotta go first in the next one here he found his aroma lacked a certain appeal he could clear the savannah after every meal I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick-skinned. And it hurt that my friends never stood. Downwind. Downwind is good. <laughs> uh, Aaron here. Um, that was from The Lion King. That was from The Lion King. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, Once Aaron again, here. that was uh, sung by Anne Hathaway and Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> she had to sell her teeth to, to put her kid through college. I thought that I thought that was Roy Scheider from uh, from all that jazz. <laughs> so, yeah, as Bob Fosse <laughs> in that in that fart song. What he's saying. Aaron, you got to go first in the next one here. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void, or do you need more? And it hard keeping it so. I can't think of what this is offhand. That's what's bothering me. Um, Tyler, tell you the name. Tyler, go for it. Hardcore. Hardcore is correct. What is this? A Star is Born. <laughs> Lady Gaga. Yeah, that's uh, Shallows. Is this from the Shish Shallows? Yeah, yeah, it's from the Shish Shallows. Uh, Tyler, with that steal, you uh, won the game. Oh, I look think. at that. 
Damn right I did. <laughs> Should have tried harder to find the shallow sneak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a tiebreaker if you guys want to hear it. Yes, sure, of course. Uh, this is just for funsies, so feel free to just buzz in, I guess. Zutalo, I have missed one. Cycleboo, what is this? How on earth could I miss such a sweet little succulent? Eh. Kiss? On the nose. Kiss? Crab. Ah. Uh. From the Little Mermaid. That's the Mermaid. That's okay. Yeah, that's the the French. The, Fre- the French really locked me into uh, Lumiere. Lumiere, yeah, that's the same. Yeah. Like, that's not. That's not right. That's, that's not. That's not. Uh, that's not Jerry Orbach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Law Norris, Jerry Orbach. That's, anyway, yeah, that Lumiere. Was yeah, that's not Ewan McGregor <laughs> from the much discussed and not at all forgotten uh, remake of Beauty and the Beast. That I totally forgot that that was him. That, that made over a billion dollars. The candlestick yeah. <laughs> that we that we do not have a cultural memory of whatsoever. Dan Stevens' breakout role. God, yeah, he is the Beast, isn't he? <laughs> He's the Beast. Yeah. He's not the guest. He's the beast. It's going to be so weird rediscovering these live action remakes that just leave no impression, but make so much money in years mm. to come. Um, Abe, that was a good yes. game. That was versus. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations, Tyler. Thank you. All yeah. right. Let's do some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go to the various questions and answers on our Facebook page. Facebook.com. We asked a number of listeners. Linda, we asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave us some answers. And here we go. Uh, Tyler, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go through these. First question here, who is your favorite romantic leading man? Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes, Abe Mua, period. What a guy. Thank you, Adam. (laughs) Kisses. Uh, Chris writes, if I'm going going for smoldering good looks, uh, Reggie Jean Page. If I'm going quantity, Mr. Hanks. If I'm going animated, Chef from South Hmm. Park. Favorite favorite romantic leading man? Yes. I probably go. I probably go Cary Grant. I know it's obvious, but that's Cary probably that's, that's kind of where right chin. my head went to. Yeah. Baby, uh, you, yeah, sure. Did you have one? Uh Doc Brown. He's a side uh, character though. Uh, part part three. He's stepping it up. Mary <laughs> yeah, Steenburgen. That's, that's right. Uh the next question is what's your favorite cinematic love story? Chris has Amelie in first place. Also a big soft spot for the wedding singer. Favorite cinematic love story? Amelie is an offhand like a movie I I, I really really like, and it is mm-hmm. a very specifically a love story. Um, I mean, it's it has so many things going on in it, but it is called True Romance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got it in the title. Uh, I um I very much um I I very much like um, Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drug Love. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. It it has such a different approach to a romantic comedy, let alone one starring Adam Sandler. But it, it certainly has a definitive stance they're taking from an emotional level that I really appreciate. That really gets to me. Uh, I forget was this romance in general or romantic comedy specifically? Cinema, cinematic love story. Yeah. Okay. But more in general. All right. Well, I'm gonna be the pretentious asshole and say I really like uh, Ali. Fear eats the soul. Um, and just these two characters that are complete like outsiders in society, like one because he's an immigrant and one uh, because she's an older woman and his scene is just like no longer uh, necessary to society and that they find each other. First, it's kind of uh, pragmatic, but they do seem to genuinely love each other, but there's complications within that. So I, I it, it's a very 
I don't know. I think it's a very human love story, but, uh, but then I'm also to go very much in the other direction. Uh, I also am a big fan of uh, it happened one night. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. Jumping off of Chris's uh, Amelie. Um, some might say the originator of Amelie Chunking Express. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. My joke answer is Tenet because that's a great romance. I mean, it is a great romance. Yeah. I was under the impression that I was under the impression that there were no emotions at all in Tenet um, of any kind. <laughs> That's true. There weren't. Yeah. I mean, they don't have names. Exactly. Sure There's protagonist, protagonist and, yeah. and, and, you know, that guy. And, you know, Eames. <laughs> I do feel for them, though. He's like, hey, we have a lot of adventures coming our way, man. Um, Amelie and Chunky Express would be a really cool double feature. I just thought of, I never thought about that before. Yeah. That's actually really neat to watch together. Both of them work uh, at a cafe. One, both have pixie haircuts. And just the nature of the of those of those two female characters and how they intersect in the lives. Sneaking of the around men. in apartments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next question you have here: What's your favorite example of characters breaking out into song? Hmm. Chris writes mostly non-musical, but Ferris Bueller's Day Off or my fave Laurel and Hardy's Laurel and Hardy singing in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Favorite char- example of characters breaking out into song. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, this is dumb, but uh, go on. I remember. <laughs> you know what show you're on? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, this is not my favorite, but it is one that jumps to mind because it is completely a non sequitur. Billy Madison. Um, a, a movie that I don't necessarily stand by, but I do laugh pretty hard when everyone starts singing towards the the end, like this big inspiring thing. Um, and the one that got, I mean, when I was, you know, what was that? What year did that come out? 95? Like 90, 95, yeah. 90, yeah. 90, yeah, so I was 13. And the thing that got me is earlier in the film, a clown is knocked off of his stilts and uh, lands on the concrete, and then you see him looking very dead with blood coming out of his mouth, and then that's it. It's like, and that in itself made me laugh. But then, you know, easily, like 45 minutes later, this song is happening, and we cut back to the clown, and he just gets up. He's okay. And he says, hey, kids, it's me. I bet you thought that I was dead, but when I (laughs) fell over, I just broke my leg and got a hemorrhage in my head. Um, Uh... And it was the abruptness of him just getting up and it's like mm-hmm. but that suggests that he's been lying, lying there, there. <laughs> for <laughs> months uh and uh that always that always made me laugh pretty hard yeah, like i'm similar like i'm not the biggest billy Madison fan, but there are sequences like that one that actually yeah. gets me pretty hard yeah, yeah. is that uh, spirits is that penelope spirits oh i don't recall now i think that's what uh afternoon delight in anchorman if i want to keep things uh and then any any uh any musical sequence from the Blues Brothers, I tend to enjoy. So I'm I'm gonna go with the uh, comedy in this regard. Tamara like Davis, it. that's that's who it is. Uh, oh yes, yes. Billy yeah. Um, I I'm in a chicken or egg situation with mine because I don't mm-hmm. know if I heard Harry Belafonte first because my dad used to play Harry Belafonte tracks or because of the Deo and sure. uh, Jump and Say Sonora sequences in uh, Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way. Uh, that very much stands out to me as far as a uh, favorite example of characters <laughs> breaking onto song when Catherine O'Hara starts singing Deo 
and this like oddball choreography takes place and then shrimp hands grab everybody's face it's like i don't know what this was but it's wonderful <laughs> and i love yeah. I, I love the belafonte tracks of course so it's like and then yeah jump in the line at the end it's like, so, if uh, uh, dinner parties aren't complete with the sequences and shrimp hands then you know what party are you going to I, honestly that's why most tim burton films don't work as well as they can <laughs> because there are shrimp hands coming out uh, of the wazoo <laughs> Like, you know I, that movie like, Big Fish could have used a little bit more of that. Big Fish seems like it set it up for shrimp hands. It's called Big Fish. The guy's telling exaggerated stories. Like, yeah. give Albert Finney a story with a big shrimp hand coming out at the end. Would have been great. Would have uh, been great. Yeah. <laughs> instead of instead of good, it, it could have been an all timer. It should be the last shot of the movie. Like Albert Finney, like fades into the you know the ether, and then Jessica <laughs> Jessica Lang just sees like a big shrimp hand grab him out of the heavens, and she's like, "Yep, that'll do." the end and think how big those eyes would be when they see shrimp hands coming at them exactly exactly (laughs) how are people not thinking about this christoph waltz should be in a whole second second movie (laughs) what happened to his hair next (laughs) called shrimp hands where he finds another another painter and steals their work it's all shrimp hands uh, my answer is um, Abe, uh, we have 10 more minutes on trim hands. I'm sorry. Let's keep okay, going. Yeah, no, please go. Please continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Go, that go got our, our it's okay. Riveting go, discussion. Of go ahead with your answer. Uh, my answer is from uh, Academy nominated uh, actor, Jesse Plemons. And I'm thinking of ending things just. Oh you know, yeah. Oh yeah. Oklahoma as an old man at the end in a school musical uh, slash gymnasium. That is, that is quite wonderful. God. That... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what an odd, like, so Tyler, to your, like, I love the comedy one too, but I also just like, whenever it's just like, what a random, like, thing to do. And then it's like, oh, I guess this is how the movie ends. Yeah. Yeah. That's a movie where, like, I feel like I finally got it out of my head, not in a bad way, but like, I really like the movie, but it's stuck with me in a mm-hmm. weird way. And now you've put it right back in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, like, the last, everything at the school and beyond. Like, yeah. it's such a, a choice those places movies go. Uh, you're up. Uh, the question is, uh, what are some notable musicals as far as the production design? Todd been our friend of the show has Moulin Rouge. Uh, Chris Cleland also has Moulin Rouge. is a great shout. Not my favorite, but Les Miserables is impressive. Sir, stage musicals has to be Miss Saigon. Uh, hmm. Notable musicals as far as their production designs go. One from the Heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone has seen One from the Heart. But uh, Francis that's, Ford Coppola Cold directed Wars, right? it. Yeah. 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 And he essentially built Las Vegas on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's, it's not meant to look exactly like Los Angeles, uh, as though they actually shot there. It has an inherently theatrical quality uh, to it and a, an artificial quality to it while still evoking it. It's, it's really marvelous. That is a, an underrated film and a gorgeous film. And this is the guy we're complaining about as far as like, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a fan of these Marvel movies. I want to spend a bunch of my own money to make something new. Oh, we hate this guy now. Okay, whatever. People, <laughs> stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, production design, musicals. There's a lot of options here. Uh, uh, for what The first thing that came to mind, though, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's not a Downtown. <laughs> Uh, it's not a musical, but the production is excellent. It's the play that Max stages in Rushmore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? The Serpico play or the Vietnam play? The Vietnam play. <laughs> well, it's explosions. They had to put on uh, safety glasses and ear protection. All right. Um, what is a classic story you'd like to see redone as a musical? Huh. Chris writes excitedly, Starship Troopers. <laughs> that, that's 
That's a good one. I like the boldness of that answer. Yeah. What, do you want, what classic story? Classic story. Do you want to see Reno as musical? Starship Troopers. That's, mm-hmm. that's fun. There's some classic stories you could see redone as a musical. You know, The Simpsons started it, but maybe somebody wants to finish it. It'd be The Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Yeah. yeah. The movie or The Planet? <laughs> uh, network. Network. I could see that. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Finch just keeps, I mean, whoever would play Peter Finch just keeps jumping in at random intervals of new, <laughs> new spiels to go into. Um, you know, you know me. Uh, Godzilla the musical. Make it happen. I love it. Is Godzilla um, like, you know, just a guy in a suit or are you trying to cast a real Godzilla? No, when you say is Godzilla just a guy in a suit, <laughs> what are the other options available to me? <laughs> An God- actual 15 foot lizard creature monster made from nuclear uh, explosions. So this is okay. So this is like a <laughs> this is like a Nosferatu We've, we've gone too far. We've this too is like far. the movie before the phone they actually just find a real vampire and film this that's, that's exactly. what you're going with yeah why yeah. why can i think oh shadows of the vampire like, why, why am i blanking on the title so it's that kind of situation it's that we didn't just find a suit we just found a, an actual godzilla and decided oh, we trained correct it, put it yeah. in the musical some giant gila monster yeah. yeah there you go uh the question the last question here is what are some great films featuring characters getting all dressed up for a big event chris has my fair lady or romeo and juliet 1996 so romeo plus juliet thank you for the clarification yeah what are some great films featuring characters getting all dressed up for a big event? Hmm. Uh, the original Phantom of the Opera. They got dressed up, go. all right. Yeah, because he dresses in like that uh, Mask of the Red Death kind of thing, and uh, it's uh, pretty extravagant. I mean, I just watched The Godfather. that big wedding they all got dressed up for. Amazing extra work, by the way. Just like, hey, we need three hundred people. To show up at I'm sure it was not hard to have a good time <laughs> during that filming. <laughs> Just keep dancing and drinking wine. Yeah, all right. right yeah. You know Don't who's mind great? anybody. Yeah. You know who's great in that? That that old man that comes in and starts singing. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what Eddie like invites Michael's mom up on stage yeah. too. Like she goes first, then they invite him. Oh, oh. And he's great. He's got a great old raspy voice. He's wonderful. Yeah. Um, mm. okay. I think we uh nailed it. <laughs> I think we've covered all these. Um, so great thank you for the thank you listeners for the feedback 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 and that is going to do it for this week's episode uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog thecodedzeek.com everything I do ends up over there I'm also writing reviews for We Live Entertainment uh, Blu-ray and Criterion reviews over on lysalu.com I'm occasionally doing some variety stuff and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4 Abe you can find more fun stuff over my Instagram abe.mua and twitter.com slash walrusmoose hashtag Cyrano de Bergerac at your service Tyler Smith where can people find more of your work online well, you can find my podcast, uh, Battleship Pretension, at battleshippretension.com. Uh, we just celebrated our uh, 15th year um, on, the, on the air. That's not the right term. Um, and then also, uh, I made a, a documentary um, last year that is uh, available uh, on Vimeo On Demand and also on the Rediscover Television streaming platform. It's called Valley of the Shadow, The Spiritual Value of Horror. Um, which uh, approaches the horror genre sort of from a, a Christian perspective. Um, by and large, uh, evangelicals are not uh, big fans of horror, and it's something that has always bothered me, though I guess I kind of understand where they're coming from. And so I made this uh, two-hour and 20-minute documentary uh, <laughs> yes. uh, talking about some of the uh, some of the themes that are explored in horror and it's hosted and narrated by bill obers jr 
who is a, a, a horror, like a B-level horror icon who is also a, a man of faith and shares a lot of my frustrations with fellow Christians. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. And it is, once again, available on Vimeo On Demand or on the Rediscover Television streaming uh, app. Wonderful. Great. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast out now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have about this episode at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or check out our Facebook, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And keep up with all the stuff we're doing over on Instagram at instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Tyler Smith, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Tyler. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to have you on here. Glad to talk about Cyrano. Glad to do all the fun things that we were doing this evening. Uh, next week, we're talking all about, that's right, the Butman. He is back. Batman returns forever. <laughs> Get your head out of the Gotham. Uh, yes, Batman is back once again. This time he has an article in front of his name, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but until then, until next time, so long. And goodbye. Why can I say anything? It never has no meaning I can't breathe, I can't speak I don't know what I'm feeling That wasn't me I don't know who that was That was somebody desperate Someone in love why can't I tell anybody the truth? I'm somebody desperate and I don't know what to do. You have no idea, do you? But I do. I just don't know what to say cause I'm so so afraid that wasn't me I don't know who that was that was somebody desperate someone in love why can't I tell anybody the truth I'm somebody desperate I'm somebody just like